All right, family, before we get started, we have some announcements, some clarities and things like that. Today, first of all, I'm, I'm not kidding you. Today is one of those shows that if you've missed every episode, I mean, I, I really, truly mean this. You really want to tune in. This is one of those episodes that for me brought me back to my why it brought me back to the understanding and meaning of why I do this in so many words but first let's pay some bills so make sure that you are sharing this content with your friends family loved ones uh, that need some inspiration and just not that rah 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 stuff but actually some some information that they can utilize and start implementing in their life today. As you know, in the opening credits, we always talk about, it's not a really about the inspiration and motivation. It's about the self-discipline, which is a, a creation of habits and routine. So make sure family, you are sharing this information. If you are listening on your favorite podcast, whether that's Apple, Sketcher, Google, whatever it is that you're listening to me on, Please subscribe, leave some great feedback. I mean, if you leave negative feedback on 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 something that someone's trying to inspire you on, I don't know. Maybe I just I don't even know how to respond to that. But I digress. Um, if you're listening on YouTube, look, you probably listened to a couple videos by now. I want you to just go ahead and subscribe. And while you're subscribing, share this with somebody that you think that can use um, that are up against some challenges in their lives that 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 they can really use this and and let them know that I'm not your typical speaker because I'm somebody that's in the journey with you. I'm not above you. We are we are aligned. I just happen to be in a position with the mic right now, but this mic can be handed to you, to anyone. So. Please, if you're listening to on YouTube, go in the description. Uh, I mean, excuse me, share this information, click share, uh, click like. And I think that's about it. Uh, I do. I know there's some questions out there about, OK, well, I want to understand the consistency. So family real quick as well. I am doing I am doing the show Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. Yes, I have a set schedule now. It's not that, oh, I just blown up so fast. It's just the fact that I am also working on a newsletter because I want to put together um, a newsletter. So I'm starting that process and understanding what is required, what's needing. Also, I am also taking on a new endeavor of a um another passion of mine, which is sneakers, as you kind of fully aware, and I'm recording that journey and having to do editing and having to learn the whole editing game, which that skill set will be able to transfer over into this. Now, I know I said a lot, um, but today for real family, I mean, I'm super excited. I'm pumped about this new schedule of doing Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. The reason why that I was posting or I should say recording five days a week, um, sometimes four days a week. And I mean, there's the reason why I was doing that is pumping out so much material and content, because if you don't realize it or not, I'm I, I really want to truly be the best. And I know you have to practice 
and practice and practice. But then you get to a point where you have to start navigating away from focusing on quantity and start focusing on quality. So as you can see, I started I'm starting to add music and sound and things like that. And I'm 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 I need to continuous grow. We are in season two. So it's important. Matter of fact, it's imperative that I continue to grow, that you continue to grow with me, family, because it doesn't make sense to continue to stay where where I am. So three days a week, family. And if, you know, if possible, I would like to do four. Uh, but for now, just so as Tyler Perry talks about spreading yourself too thin when he talked about if you had all of these seeds and you just and you're you're watering all these various seeds versus just, you know, focusing on this little batch of seeds or seed, um, then you won't you won't be as prosperous prosperous or as successful because you're all over the place. So I'm trying to minimize my all over the place and narrow it down where each everything that I'm working on is a build off or a is is building off of each other in a sense. So as you know, the I'm doing the sneaker deal and and when I say sneaker deal meaning building out that that side of the the business and creating that particular product. But again, I know you're here for your inspiration, your motivation with some various steps and really to shake you up and put you back into order. I'm telling you, we have a true banger and reason why this is a banger reason why I know this is going to arrest someone's attention. I'll give you a minute to get the Kleenex because some of the things I'm going to say, they're going to touch your soul. They're going to erupt or disrupt your way of thinking on, um, on my on IG, if you're not following me on IG, Impact Secret Podcast, follow me on there. Um, one of the biggest things is I'm I'm constantly working, not just on 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 you, family, as well as myself, of breaking constantly breaking limited beliefs. This episode is a is is dedicated to breaking limited beliefs. So, with no further ado, let's jump right into it. not enough to have a great idea and the focus and the conscientiousness to see it to fruition. You must have the strength and the resolve and the courage to pursue that idea even when the rest of the world thinks you're insane. Time and time again, if you look at the stories of extraordinarily uh, important entrepreneurs, there is almost always a moment when they are the only ones who believe in the value of what they're doing. You know, I tell in my book the story of my book, David and Goliath, the story of um, Ingvar Kamprad, the guy who founds IKEA. And the crucial moment in the, in the story of IKEA is when he faces a boycott from the other furniture manufacturers in Sweden. And he's about to go out of business. And in desperation, he moves his operations across the Baltic Sea from Sweden to Poland and sets up shop in Poland. And that's what IKEA is. IKEA is essentially furniture ship flat made in Poland. That's the original elevator pitch for IKEA. What's interesting about that is he does it in 1961. At the height of the Cold War, at a time when East and West, communist world and free world are closer to outright war than at any other time in history, a guy living in the West, Sweden, crosses the pond to Poland, the Iron Curtain, and sets up shop. 
you cannot imagine what a controversial move that was. That's like, that would be like Walmart opening operations in North Korea. Literally, it's on that level of kind of eyebrow raising, you've got to be kidding me, who is this guy kind of thing. But he does it and he persists and he turns his back on all those critics. Why? Because he is a deeply disagreeable person. Didn't need people to agree with him, right? And that's how he's able to build IKEA into this extraordinary runaway success story. That's very hard to do. As human beings, we are hardwired to want the approval of our peers. So I wanted to tell a story that, uh, that really obsessed me when I was writing my new book. And um, it's a story of something that happened 3,000 years ago when the kingdom of Israel was in its infancy. And it takes place in an area called the Shephelah um, in what is now uh, Israel. And the reason the story upsets me is that I thought I understood it, and then I went back over it, and I realized that I didn't understand it at all. Um, ancient Palestine had a, uh, along its eastern border, there's a mountain range, still the same is true of Israel today, and in the mountain range are all of the ancient cities of that region. So Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Hebron. Um, and then there's a coastal plain, right, along the Mediterranean, where Tel Aviv is now. And connecting the mountain range with the coastal plain is an area called the Shephelah, which is a series of valleys and ridges that run east to west. And you can follow the Shephelah, through the, go through the Shephelah to get from the coastal plain to the mountains. And the Shephelah, if you've been to Israel, you'll know it's just about the most beautiful part of Israel. It's gorgeous with uh, forests of oak and wheat fields and vineyards. And, but more importantly, though, in the history of that region, it's served, it's had a, a, a real strategic function. And that is, it is the means by which hostile armies on the coastal plain find their way, get, get up into the mountains and threaten those living in the mountains. And 3,000 years ago, that's exactly what happens. The Philistines, who are the, the biggest of enemies of the kingdom of Israel, are living in the coastal plain. They're originally from Crete. They're a seafaring people. And they may start to make their way through one of the valleys of the Shephelah up into the mountains because what they want to do is occupy the highland area right by Bethlehem and split the kingdom of Israel in two. And the kingdom of Israel, which is headed by King Saul, obviously catches wind of this and Saul brings his army down from the mountains and he confronts the Philistines in the Valley of Elah, one of the most beautiful of the valleys of the Shephelah. And the Israelites dig in along the northern ridge and the uh, the Philistines dig in along the southern ridge, and the two armies just sit there for weeks and stare at each other because they're deadlocked. Neither can attack the other because to attack the other side, you've got to come down the mountain into the valley and then up the other side, and you're completely exposed. So finally, to break the deadlock, the Philistines send their mightiest warrior down into the valley floor, and he calls out and he says to the Israelites, send your mightiest warrior down, and we'll have this out, just the two of us. This was a tradition in ancient warfare called single combat. It was a way of settling disputes without incurring the bloodshed of a major battle. And the Philistine who is sent down, their mighty warrior, is a giant. He's six foot nine. Uh, he's outfitted head to toe in this glittering bronze armor. And he's got a sword, and he's got a javelin, and he's got a spear. He is absolutely terrifying. And he's so terrifying that none of the Israelite soldiers want to fight him. It's a, 
it's a death wish, right? There's no way they think they can take him. And finally, the only person who will come forward is this young shepherd boy. And he goes up to Saul and he says, I'll fight him. And Saul says, you, Saul says, you can't fight him. That's ridiculous. You're this kid. This is this mighty warrior. But the shepherd is adamant. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. I have been defending my flock against uh, lions and wolves for years. I think I can do it. And Saul has no choice. He's got no one else has come forward. So he says, all right. And then he turns to the kid and he says, but you've got to wear this armor. You can't go as you are. So he tries to give the shepherd his armor, and the shepherd says, no. He says, I, I, I can't wear this stuff. I, I, the biblical verse is, I, have not, I cannot wear this, for I have not proved it. Meaning, I've never worn armor before. You've got to be crazy. So he reaches down instead on the ground and picks up five stones and puts them in his shepherd's bag and starts to walk down the mountainside to meet the giant. And the giant sees this figure approaching and calls out, come to me so I can feed your flesh to the, to the birds of the heavens and the, and the beasts of the field, right? He issues this kind of taunt towards this person coming to fight him. And the shepherd draws closer and closer. And the giant sees that he's carrying a staff. That's all he's carrying, right? Instead of a weapon, just this shepherd's staff. And he says, am I a, he's insulted. Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks, right? And the shepherd boy takes one of his stones out of his pocket, puts it in his sling, and whirls it around and lets it fly. And it hits the giant right between the eyes, like right here in his most vulnerable spot. And he falls down, either dead or unconscious. And the shepherd boy runs up and takes his sword and cuts off his head. And the Philistines see this, and they turn, and they just run. <laughs> and of course, the name of the giant is Goliath. And the name of the shepherd boy is David. And the reason that story has obsessed me over the course of writing my book is that everything I thought I knew about that story turned out to be wrong. So David in that story is supposed to be the underdog, right? In fact, that term, David and Goliath, has entered our language as a metaphor for improbable victories by some weak party over someone far stronger. Now, why do we call David an underdog? Well, we call him an underdog because he's a kid, little kid, and Goliath is this big, strong giant. We also call him an underdog because uh, Goliath is an experienced warrior, and David is just a shepherd, right? But most importantly, we call him an underdog because all he has is, is giant, is that, is that Goliath is outfitted with all of this modern weaponry, right? This glittering coat of armor and a and a, a sword, and a javelin, and a spear, and all David has is this sling. Well, let's start there with the phrase, all David has is this sling, because that's the first mistake that we make. In ancient warfare, there are three kinds of warriors. There's cavalry, men on horseback and in, with chariots. There is heavy infantry, which are foot soldiers, armed foot soldiers, with uh, swords and shields and some kind of armor. And there's artillery. And artillery are archers, but more importantly, slingers. And a slinger is someone who has a leather pouch with two long cords attached to it. And they put a projectile, either a rock or a lead ball, inside the pouch. And they whirl it around like this. And they let one of the cords go. And the effect is to send the projectile forward at, um, uh, towards its target. Right? That's what David has. And it's important to understand that that sling is not a slingshot. It's not this, right? It's not a child's toy. 
It's in fact an incredibly devastating weapon. When David rolls it around like this, he's, he's turning his, uh, this thing around probably at six or seven revolutions per second. And that means that when the ball is, when the rock is released, it's going forward really fast, probably 35 meters per second. That's substantially faster than uh, uh, baseballs thrown by um, even the finest of baseball pitchers. More than that, the stones in the Valley of Elah were not normal rocks. They were barium sulfate, which are rocks twice the density of normal stones. If you do the calculations on the ballistic, on the stopping power of the rock fired from David's sling, it's roughly equal to the stopping power of a 45 millimeter handgun, right? This is an incredibly devastating weapon. Accuracy, we know from uh, historical records that slingers uh, had, experienced slingers could hit um, and maim or, serious or, or even kill a target at distances of up to 200 yards. From medieval tapestries, uh, we know that slingers were capable of hitting birds in flight. They're incredibly accurate. When David lines up, and he's not 200 yards away from Goliath, he's quite close to Goliath. When he lines up and fires that thing at Goliath, there is, he has every intention and every expectation of being able to hit Goliath at his most vulnerable spot between his eyes. If you go back over the history of ancient warfare, you will find time and time again that slingers were the decisive factor against infantry in one kind of battle, against heavy infantry in one kind of battle um, or another. So what's Goliath? He's heavy infantry. And his expectation when he challenges the Israelites to a duel is that he's going to be fighting another heavy infantryman, right? When he says, come to me that I might feed your flesh to the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field, the key phrase is come to me. Come up to me because we're going to fight hand to hand like this. Saul has the same expectation. David says, I want to fight Goliath, and Saul tries to give him his armor because Saul is thinking, oh, when you say fight Goliath, you mean fight him in hand-to-hand -hand combat, infantry on infantry. But David has absolutely no expectation. No, he's not going to fight him that way. Why would he? He's a shepherd. He spent his entire career using a sling to defend his flock against lions and wolves. That's where his strength lies. So here he is, this shepherd, experienced in the use of a devastating weapon, up against this lumbering giant, weighed down by a hundred pounds of armor, and these incredibly heavy weapons that are useful only in short-range combat. Goliath is a sitting duck. He doesn't have a chance, right? So why do we keep calling David an underdog, and why do we keep referring to his victory as improbable? It's the second piece of this that's important. It's not just that we misunderstand David and his choice of weaponry. It's also that we profoundly misunderstand Goliath. Goliath is not what he seems to be. Um, there's all kinds of hints of this in the biblical text. Um, things that are, in retrospect, are quite puzzling and don't square with his image as this mighty warrior. So to begin with, the Bible says that Goliath is led onto the valley floor by an attendant. Now that is weird, right? Here is this mighty warrior going, challenging the Israelites to one-on-one -on -one combat. Why is he being led by the hand, by some, you know, young boy, presumably, to the point of combat? Secondly, the Bible story uh, 
makes special note of how slowly Goliath moves. Another odd thing to say when you're describing the mightiest warrior known to man at that point, right? And then there's this whole weird thing about how long it takes Goliath to react to the, to the sight of David. So David's coming down the mountain, and he's clearly not preparing for hand-to-hand -hand combat, right? There is nothing about him that says, I'm about to fight you like this. He's not even carrying a sword. Why does Goliath not react to that? It's as if he's oblivious to what's going on that day. And then there's this strange, that strange comment he makes to David. Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? Right? Sticks? David only has one stick. Well, it turns out that there's been a great deal of speculation within the medical community over the years about uh, whether there's something wrong with, fundamentally wrong with Goliath, an attempt to make sense of all of those apparent anomalies. There been many articles written. The first one was in 1960 in the Indiana uh, Medical Journal. And it started a chain of speculation that starts with an explanation for Goliath's height. So Goliath is head and shoulders above all of his peers in that era. And usually when someone is that far out of the norm, there's an explanation for it. So the most common form of giantism uh, is a condition called acromegaly. And acromegaly is caused by a benign tumor on your uh, pituitary gland that causes an overproduction of human growth hormone. And throughout history, many of the most famous giants have all had acromegaly. So the tallest person of all time was a guy named Robert Wadlow who was still growing when he died at the age of 24, and he was 8 foot 11. He had acromegaly. Do you remember the wrestler Andre the Giant, famous? He had acromegaly. There's even speculation that uh, Abraham Lincoln had acromegaly. Right? Anyone who's unusually tall, that's the first uh, explanation we come up with. And acromegaly has a very distinct set of side effects associated with it, principally having to do with uh, vision. Uh, the, pituitary tumor, as it grows, often starts to compress the visual nerves in your brain, with the result that people with acromegaly have either uh, double vision or they are profoundly nearsighted. So when, we, when people have started to speculate about what might have been wrong with Goliath, they've said, wait a minute, he looks and sounds an awful lot like someone who has acromegaly. And that would also explain so much of what was strange about his behavior that day, right? Why does he move so slowly and have to be escorted down into the valley floor by an attendant? Because he can't make his way on his own, right? Why is he so strangely oblivious to David that he doesn't understand that David's not going to fight him until the very last moment? Because he can't see him, right? When he says, come to me that I might feed your flesh to the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field. The phrase come to me is a hint also of his vulnerability. Come to me because I can't see you, right? And then there's, uh, am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? He sees two sticks when David has only one. So the Israelites up on the mountain ridge looking down on him thought he was this extraordinarily powerful foe. What they didn't understand was that the very thing that was the source of his apparent strength was also the source of his greatest weakness. And there is, I think, in that a very important lesson for all of us. Giants are not as strong and powerful as they seem. 
And sometimes the shepherd boy has a sling in his pocket. In 1980, an experiment of monkeys was made by a researcher who conducted a study on social dynamics. The researcher put five monkeys in a huge cage. At the top of the top of the cage, he placed a bunch of bananas. Then a ladder was placed inside of the cage, leading to the bananas. The monkey saw the bananas and sent one of them up to get them. When the monkey got to the top and reached for the bananas, the scientist threw a stream of cold water on the monkey's face. Caught by surprise, the monkey scurried down the ladder. Then the scientist threw cold water on all of the monkeys. A little cold water in the face didn't entirely stifle their ambitions. So a few minutes later, the monkey sent another one up the ladder. Again, the scientist threw cold water on the monkey and the monkey quickly climbed down the ladder. Once more, the cold water treatment was repeated for all monkeys. Ten, min ten minutes later, a third monkey attempted to climb the ladder. But the other monkeys, remembering the punishment that follows, beat up the ambitious monkey and didn't let him climb up. A few days later, the scientists removed one of the five monkeys and introduced a new monkey into the group. The new monkey saw the bananas and naturally he attempted to climb the ladder. The original four monkeys grabbed him and beat him up. Then the second monkey was replaced with a new monkey. And again, the new monkey attempted to climb up. And the three original monkeys together with the first new monkey grabbed him and beat him up. That was impressive, impressive because the first new monkey was never given the cold water treatment, but he behaved like the other members of the group. Gradually, all monkeys were placed with new ones. The new monkeys continued the same treatment of any monkey who tried to reach the bananas. They would pull him off and beat him up, despite the fact that none of them experienced the cold water treatment. In the end, all the monkeys learned that they should never go for the bananas. You see what? This experiment describes perfectly how our society often reacts when someone attempts to break the rules and change them. Today's episode is entitled David and Goliath. The willingness to do things you are not prepared for. Again, David and Goliath, the willingness to do things you are not prepared for. Let's jump into today's show. If you're new to the Impact Secret Podcast show, welcome to the family, to my existing family. Big up, as always. Thank you for joining the show. On this podcast show, we shift the mindset through inspiration, motivation, with a standing foundation of self-discipline. I am your respectful host, E.D. For all you smart and intelligent folks, it just simply means Ed. 
Now, you know the motto, the slogan that we live by here. Bet on yourself. You won't win unless you get in the game and play. A quote that I love and I'm going with that I hope you enjoy. You never know how strong you are until being strong is only the only choice you have. Bob Marley. Another thing here that rocks a present here with us here at the Impact Secret Podcast Show. Living means doing what you love to do, even if you have to fall to get back up. Man, I love that. One question, two thought-provoking statements. First question is this. What are your five stones? Again, what are your five stones? First thought-provoking statement. Fail. Yep, F-A-I-L, fail. But there's a kicker to that. We'll talk about that soon. Second thought-provoking statement, wearing other people's armor. Wearing other people's armor. Again, today's episode is entitled David and Goliath, the willingness to do things you are not prepared for. I like a quote by Kobe, uh, Kobe Bryant in memory of his of of Kobe's birthday, which was yesterday. Kobe said, once you go through the process of trying to make those dreams a reality, you hit obstacles. And I think, unfortunately, because of the pressure or anxiety or responsibility, you kind of give up on those dreams. And somewhere down the uh, somewhere, excuse me, somewhere along the line, you lose the imagination. I think it's important that you never lose that. You have to keep that. That's the most important thing. I never gave up on my dream okay you don't like that one that didn't move you it moved me but let me see what james clear the author of atomic habits he said the teachers learns more than the student the author learns more than the reader the speaker learns more than the attendee the way to learn is by doing where are you going ed with all of this where am i going with all of this The reason why I love that story of David and Goliath, and I love how the speaker that you were listening to on the audio clip originally was Malcolm Gladwell. He's one of my favorite, and I do mean favorite author, has all all of his books. And um, the reason why I loved the story of David and Goliath, because that is a story of how I compared my life, meaning that life to me was Goliath and I was David. I was constantly navigating through this thing we call life. I was constantly being told what I couldn't do more than what I could do and could become. See, what tends to happen, family, is is that when you are in a state of mind of trying to figure out, and I don't care what age you are, because you will have different periods where you feel like I'm lost. I'm confused. I'll give you a perfect example. Let me unpack what I mean by that. When I decided to transition from doing shows every day to less doing, you know, Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays so I can understand another passion of mine, which are sneakers and having to record um, 
the videos of me basically displaying the sneakers and and showing. And I'll be honest with you, family, I was extremely nervous. And you're like, why? Why would see it? It wasn't about being on on camera. I wanted to be like everyone else that I look up to, or I should say that inspires me. Uh, when I, when it comes to uh, sneakers, as far as watching their, their their shows, but see one thing that I forgot, and what happens, family, we do this a lot, and I share this through a lot of the shows here that people fall victim to. Anytime you go into anything new, and you see the success of what someone has, you should never want to mirror that or copy that you should want to take that experience and customize it to your own see if I would have done my homework which I had end up doing is afterwards after I had got over that nervousness I said let me go back and look at some of the people that inspired me to even want to go ahead and jump into the whole sneaker game and I went back to their oldest videos and I'm looking and I'm like wow okay uh, yeah, this is not what it looks like now. See, family, we we get caught up in the now, the instant, the microwave, as as my mom would say, the microwave version of life. And life doesn't work that way. Everything is a progression. Everything is a succession of moving forward step by step. You're not going to get it now. You, that's why I entitled this David and Goliath and saying in so many words of saying the willingness to do things you're not prepared for. Anything that I've had an opportunity to get better at, anything that I've had an opportunity to to learn and still working on mastering is, is that I was thrown into that situation. When I became a project manager, I was thrown into the situation because the, the project manager, because there wasn't a project manager. And then I found out, I was like, wow, I like this. There was no rule books. There was no way about going to do it. It was about tr working on figuring out how does this thing work? Started asking questions. The same thing when I got into doing the podcast, Yes, there's a lot of books out there and I attempted, I promise you, I attempted to try to read them and understand it, but it made no sense to me. It made, it didn't make sense to me because I said, well, I don't understand that format and I, that's, that format I don't think is going to be a reflection of who I am. I'm going to step outside the box. I'm going to break the rules. And that's what I did. I don't know how many podcasts out there that you hear in which you have clips like uh, that I bring that has that is aligned with my message. And I'm going to be honest where I got that from was uh, a, a gentleman named Dorian at Group 82. I basically took his model of what he said, hey, do this. And I took it and customized it to fit the journey that I'm on. And what I love about being able to customize and not steal and not borrow is the fact that it allows you to step into who you are meant to be who you can be and that's why when I said the acronym fail I, I pulled that off of a a Facebook post and 
it, how it let me let me show you how it arrested my attention. The acronym was so cold. It was so it was so in, uh, moving as I was preparing for the show. I noticed the I, I noticed I was doing some homework and I said, wow, um, let me go look at some of my quotes, because what I do is I keep quotes and um, I actually took a course on learning how to read, not like literally like reading words, but how to be a better um, information taker, because there's so much information out there that you can read something. And if I asked you, hey, so tell me about this book, you probably couldn't give me a, a, a in-depth discussion about it unless you've just got done reading it or it's and it depends on type of reader you are. If you're reading one book a, a year, then, yeah, you probably can give me an in-depth conversation. But for me. My goal is to to get to a point where I'm reading one book a week. Ooh, we I know, I know family. I'm I'm a little crazy and deranged, but I want to be able to take that information and dial it down to have an understanding of how I can leverage it. And basically the reason why I'm doing that is to be able to take shortcuts of successful people that I can add to my life. So I'll know, okay, I need to pivot here. Okay. Nope. Go forward here. Oh, nope. I need to do this over here. But anyway, reason why I, I found that quote, cause I was going through a course I had took, which was Ryan. And he said, create a section in your note section or, um, you know, use a, you know, notion or something like that to be able to refer to as a fouling cabinet. So when you're putting together speeches or, or putting together content, you can refer back to. And so I referred back to this and it blew me away. Cause I was like, Oh wow. I have forgot all about that see the acronym for fail of what i got off the facebook post was first attempt in learning okay you didn't get excited let me try it again i said fail stood for first attempt in learning see I understood that school didn't teach us about the aspect of when I'm talking school, I am talking all the way from elementary to high school, even college did not impose or build upon the aspect of having the ability to fail. See, when you failed in that genre or in that in that in that frame framework, you are considered a failure. But see, as we know, a failure is someone that gave up a failure is somebody who who quit going after it and getting after it and so i realized that in this word failing is is, is the word fail is an opportunity for you to learn an opportunity for you to grow and see when we get into these situations when we're David and the situation is Goliath we give more credit we give more creed we give more we 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 give more accolades to something or someone that really does not deserve it i'm sorry i didn't mean to bust anyone's bubble i didn't mean to be disrespectful but we have to be careful who we're saluting. We have to be careful of who we are plotting and praising. I love what I love in the Bible what it talks about. Um, I, I think it's Mark uh, twelve uh, verse nine where where they uh, they unpacked it so well. And and where I originally heard this was through. If you don't know, I'm a huge Bob Marley fan, and 
where I first heard it was there. So etymologically, I tried to say the word etymologically, but it didn't come out right. It just sounded good in my mind, but it didn't come out right. But anyway, I digress. But reason why I loved what it what he said was in, in Mark 12, 9, he said, the stone the builders rejected has become the corn, cornerstone. And I'm not a builder, but if I was a builder, I do believe the cornerstone uh, stone is one of the, the, one of the best part of the structure in order to hold up the actual structure and see instead of being a, a regular stone see when you are a cornerstone there's something different about you there's something unique about you and see I've been a cornerstone all my life how many cornerstone people do I have out there in the family that's listening today see a cornerstone is somebody that has the ability to get back up after after failure or excuse me after failing after failing time and time again and that is what's that's what's the challenge and still keep a smile on your face family it's not easy I wish I could tell you it was I wish it was I could tell you that you're gonna that when you fail there that it's gonna be all that, that that's what you were looking for it doesn't feel good I don't care who you are you can be the most positive person in the world failing does not feel good good and exciting but what it does do it is the best teacher that anything or anybody can do for you and so going back to my point of what I'm saying of you have to be careful about what what um how you're looking up to people because of the fact of you are are putting you're putting pressures on yourself that are not even there you're creating a a a person that is not really of that person. That's what Malcolm Gladwell has said when he talked about, he said, when I was listening to, he said, um, when he started really going in depth and studying the story of, of David and Goliath, he realized he had it wrong. He said he had it wrong because when he unpacked the story, he realized that the strength of, of Goliath was really his weakness. I'll say that again. He said the strength of Goliath was really his weakness because when he told David, come to me, and how dare you, would you treat me as a dog? And I'm paraphrasing because you have sticks. Sticks is a plural. So what that says is, is that he's seeing doubles or he's seeing more than one. And when David, I don't know if he realized that, so I can't really say or not say, but just imagine if if someone told you, well, this is the way it's all. Oh, you're probably going to get me started. This is the way that has always been done. See that when someone tells me that I that is one of my pet peeves that I'm saying, well, I know where you've been at all your life. Because when someone tells you this is way it's always been done, what they're telling you is I'm not open to change. What, what they're telling you is, is that there is no way that this can change. There is no way that this is going to get any better. And I'm like, oh, OK. You see, that's what Saul had told David. Hey, put on my armor. This is how it's always been done. When we have to fight, we put on this armor and see what we have to realize, family, if we're going to be rule breakers. And when I say rule breakers, I mean, of course, in a legitimate fashion. But what I'm saying is out stepping outside of the mold, stepping outside of what someone described you or what they deem you as being. And you're not. You're more than that. So stop trying to please or agree with people that at the end of the day, when you find out that they really, 
truly don't have your best interest at heart. And you say, well, how do you discover that? Well, family, that's only something that time will tell. But if they are putting you on a uh, in a situation where they're on a pedestal and, and and looking down to you, that will tell you everything in, that you need to know. So, family, when I tell you this type of episode is really for the that person or the uh, people that are going through something that is looking at something or someone as a that they won't be able to go through or go around. You know, my cousin on my uncle's side would always say, if they won't let me in the front door, I'll go to the back door. If I can't get into the back door, I'll go through the window. If I can't get in the front back door or the window, then I'll start sending messages that, hey, somebody is looking for you. And when they come out, then I'll walk in. Okay, maybe I lost somebody. I'll move on because that was kind of quick and fast. But what I'm trying to tell you, family, is when you're trying to wear other people's armor, you're trying to be somebody, somebody that you're not. I remember, as I told you, when I first started, because I was inspired by Eric Thomas, I wanted to be Eric Thomas. And when I remember I was listening to one of his videos and he said, some of you been listening to me for a while and you haven't taken any action. And see, family, this is when I'm living in this 700 square foot apartment. And, you know, uh, he said, some of you listen to me and you haven't taken any action. And I'm paraphrasing family. But you guys need to turn me off and get to work. And that's what I believe, family, that we need to do is it's all about action, being actionable, because when you're more in an actionable state, you're going to learn more. When I got into the sneaker game, I I, I didn't read everything at first. I started just taking action and then I started reading as much you know material as I could, even with this podcast like now. You know, when I, I got started, I attempted to read and that's what taught me that, hey, just jump in and just start doing and and listening to other podcasts to see, is there anything that can inspire you? Is there anything that you can um, utilize or mirror to customize for your own show as you're building it up? Because this is not going to happen overnight. There's going to take time and family. We've been in this for about what, about a year and a couple a couple months and I'm still willing and excited about each time I get on the mic to get better. So I'll leave you with these thoughts, family. There's a great opportunity for you to get better each day. It's just the decision that you have to make It's the decision of what you want to do. Because um, I also like with Kevin Durant and I'm actually going to do an episode of that of, uh, of Draymond Green's show, The Chips, when Draymond asked him a question about the media. And he said at first he, when he came into the league, he was, he really thought the media had knew more than what he did. But then over time he started realizing that, wait a minute, I'm actually playing this game. I'm actually living this day in and day out. How would they know more than me? And when you get caught up, when you start talking and dealing with people that give you a lot of theories, but have nothing actionable to back it up, when they give you feedback and thoughts and and they don't show you and, and they can't show their work as uh, one of my favorite books. I forgot his name, the author. I know that's bad. Um, 
I think it's Alston or Ashton or something like that, but, and they can't show your work. Why do you, why do you get emotionally engaged in that? You should just say, oh, okay, thank you. And keep it moving. Because if they can't show your work, how are they going to teach you how to show your work? Cause they're giving you theories. All right, family. I kept you too long. I, I appreciate today. I hope and I pray truly that this show really impacts someone's life. It see family, it's not just something to get inspired or to get motivated. It's really to create a conversation in which you start taking actionable steps. Start if that thing that you're scared or you're fearful of doing, or if it's creating a business, if it's, you know, um, whatever it is, long as legitimate, I always got to clarify that, but jump into it because the only way you're going to learn or be is to do it. I, I don't care what you can read every book you want to, but if a not reading the book and not taking actionable steps and not having the faith and, and you may learn, Hey, I don't like like this thing. Yeah. It sounded good listening to it, or it sounded good, sounded good when I was reading it, but actually doing it, it just, is just not for me. That's the same t thing where you will realize where a lot of people, you'll go to college and people would think, oh, well, yeah, you know, this is my major. And then they'll get out of college and go work in the real world and say, oh, you know what? I don't like doing this. And unfortunately, now you have to figure now you have to figure out what do you enjoy doing? That's why I'm a big, big proponent of experimenting with things that that, you know, intrigue you or that you say, you know, what? I wouldn't mind trying that. Go and do it. See if you like it. That way you have a you're, you're no faster than actually just reading and listening to it that, you know, this doesn't work for me because the only way you can knock down your your Goliath is Goliath is with true action. Again, family, I truly thank you for this this opportunity for everyone that's tuned in, for everyone that's subscribed, for everyone that is just really taking the time to give me time, something that they'll never get back. I hope today moved you. Really, that that story about the monkey uh, that was actually by Barry. Um, I hope that his story, I mean, that particular story helps you too when people are trying to hold you back. Because that book, you should pick it up too. It's uh, 99 Inspiring Stories for Presentations by Barry Powell. This has been your boy ED. This has been another Impact Secret Podcast show. I hope this was a banger. I think I, I want to push this to my number one. I'm actually going to go back and listen to it for me to get inspired to take some action on some things I'm looking now on my expected win board. Until next time. Peace.